Value Coffee Talk podcast. I'm April Morley. Uh, and I'm Tom Pasello, the ROI guy. We have our mugs of coffee. I've got the uh, Brooklyn Bridge on mine. So a tribute to our home in New York. April, what are you drinking today? I'm drinking chamomile tea. <laughs> <laughs> it's coffee talk. Come on, what's it's the, the afternoon? <laughs> uh, I've got my Nespresso, so I'm all set. And uh, this podcast, uh, it's a service of Enterprise Value Collective. Uh, we're a community for business value-focused leaders and practitioners. Uh, we were sponsored by our value consultancy, Genius Drive, and our mission is to help accelerate and optimize the value articulation in each of your customer engagements and throughout the customer life cycle. Yeah, and we are here with our coffee, our dirty chai, no, regular chai, chamomile tea, and Dan, I think you've probably got some sports drink knowing you. Just water today, unfortunately. Yeah, just a little. I'm recovering <laughs> from a recent illness, so I'm just trying to <laughs> hydrate. And uh, that's our great introduction of Dan Sixman. <laughs> he is the SVP of value for uh, RevOps and intelligence platform provider, MediaFly. Uh, he leads, uh, he's uh, a lead evangelist and uh, go-to-market um, expert for MediaFly's Value 360 solution. And we're here today to talk about something near and dear to our hearts, scaling value programs with the use of value automation. So, Dana, I first want to start off with why is value automation such an important element of any value management, value consulting practice and plan? Yeah, um, so absolutely. And Tom and April, great to be here. Thanks for having me on Value Coffee Talk. Excited <laughs> to be here with, with you two. Um, yeah, I mean, it. the good news is the value space today is um, really exploding. Um, if you look at all the buyer surveys, um, you know, selling with value is, is near the top, right? Personalization are, are all the things that they need, right? So there are companies now scrambling to stand up value teams, um, and they quickly want to be able to get the sellers out there selling with value because, um, as we know, there's not enough value consultants and value engineers to go around. So... The ability to leverage something like a value tools platform is going to really kind of put them into overdrive um, and really shortcut the process so that they can create kind of multiple tools for different use cases, different solutions, and really be able to enable those sellers to go out on their own and, you know, try and make the case for um, selling with value. So, um, you know, we're seeing companies now, even small companies coming to the table uh, looking for value automation platforms to try and get things up to speed quickly. Yeah, we know that you can't just do it with sales training alone. No, you can't do it with spreadsheets. They just don't get adopted, don't get used, don't get standardized, kind of take on a life of their own. And you're right, the value consultants and value engineers, you know, a business case factory is a good thing to stand up, but it's usually only good for... 20, 30 deals a quarter, maybe a couple of hundred a year in a big practice even. And so when you think about all of the deals and opportunities that really do need value, uh, you won't be able to reach them all without having some kind of scalable part of the program and value automation platform is a way to do that. In April, I know you were a MediaFly customer and took advantage mm -hmm. of 
value automation to scale. You want to just talk about that a little bit before we throw the next question to Dan? Yeah, I mean, absolutely. I think it's really critical because if you try to do, a, let's just say a value proposition or business case manually, that whole process, even with an expert can take you 40 hours to develop per client. And that might not even include the revisions back and forth when the client wants to customize. So if it's really a goal to have value in every customer, it's critical to have automation in the process. Otherwise, it just won't be adopted. Absolutely. So uh, when do you think an organization should think about a value automation platform, Dan? Yeah, great question. Um, you know, we asked that question to a couple of different folks on one of our recent webinars. Um, you know, so some 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 companies believe that they've got to get their messaging locked down first and their methodology, um, which we see fairly frequently. So they'll come in and potentially work with uh, corporate visions or command of the message or challenger or, or Mediafly because we have our own methodology. But typically you need that kind of baseline foundation. Um, then they will usually hire a value engineer or two um, then they'll start to create some spreadsheets. So, you know, that could be a year, you know, sometimes it's two years. Uh, in other cases, we're having companies come to us with, um, you know, one new hire that's not necessarily a value engineer, but they're trying to launch a value practice and they've got random spreadsheets and they want to try and automate them. So it's really all over the, it's all over the board, but I see it trending more towards sooner rather than later. Um, mm -hmm. Just because no one has any time <laughs> anymore. You know, everyone's just being pushed for, for growth today. So um, that's good news for us. Yeah, I agree with that. I think that you do need to have your value storytelling in place. I do think that that needs to be well understood and kind of have a model that's somewhat vetted, even if it's in spreadsheet form before automating. <clears throat> but we are seeing that that time frame that used to be a year or two is definitely now companies are wanting to do that within a couple of months to get the messaging and models done. So maybe a quarter and then that next quarter, they're looking to roll it out and scale it to the team. And they're also realizing, I think that value consultants, engineers are definitely a part of the plan and can even help to drive it, but that the resources are very hard to come by and have gotten a little bit pricey. So that's, I think, part of why value automation platforms in particular are being moved early so that you can get sellers, specialists to do it, as opposed to relying on heavy lift, um, kind of roll your own value consultants, value engineers doing it. And Dan, you've worked um, on hundreds of different automation projects. What are some of the things that you know help companies succeed in terms of best practices and in, in thinking about the value automation platform, uh, designing it and then rolling it out. Yeah. Um, so I would say number one is going to be, uh, Da Vinci said, simplicity is the ultimate sophistication, uh, simplicity, um, only because, you know, we can get excited as value engineers and build out these super complicated and deep, um, and winding spreadsheets, but ultimately, um, you know, we run into adoption issues. So I think, you know, number one we've learned over the years is definitely, you know, keep it simple. Um,
The second one is you've got to have, you know, senior management buy in to a value program um, or it's not going to work. Right. So um, the best and most successful programs are they have senior leadership committed to value um, and selling with value. They have a mandate. They have a budget and they're supported and they're, um, you know, measured on success. So I think that is definitely another key. Um, Number three we've seen is having it, having the value tools integrated into the current work streams of the sellers, because mm -hmm. they've got zillions of tools. Um, if you can integrate, for example, in Salesforce or a CRM where they're spending time all day long, um, they're gonna be adopted more um, and they'll probably be used more frequently versus throwing them another tool that they're gonna have to dig up somewhere um, in a different location. Um, I think the next thing is gonna be the user experience, um, that's something that's really important um, in a couple of different ways. Number one, for um, the seller to want to use and adopt. And then number two, to be able to pull it up on a call and show it to a buyer and then have the buyer engage with it, right? Maybe share it out with the buyer or send an output report that's really compelling and have the buyers, um, you know, engage. Um, and I think the last one, a couple of last ones would be, you know, full cycle. So, you know, um, being able to kind of demonstrate value from, you know, top of funnel to pre-sales to post-sales. And I think that's, you know, um, not being done by a lot of folks yet, but it's something that everyone wants to do. So kind of full cycle value. And then, you know, the last and not least, but it's just, you know, buyer enablement, training, um, measurement, um, we have a few different, you know, tangential programs that we sell that help the, you know, the value engineers kind of understand, you know, the value of value, but also um, help them and the, the sales leaders coach on value because you can't just throw the tools out there and think that it's, it's going to be a resounding success. Um, so combining it with training and education and enablement, I think, um, is going to be important. Yeah, those are all such great points, Dan. Um, I'm In terms of the change management that you were talking about, I've seen a lot of success with engaging champions at all levels of the organization. So you talked about the coaching, which is so critical from the sales managers to keep reinforcing the idea of how to leverage the automation, how to talk about value. And then also, you know, building a groundswell of account executives or sales engineers who really buy into it and are willing to take on a leadership position to help influence the organization, I find can be really powerful in really creating a movement across the organization. Absolutely. Um, for sure. And that's like that that was another one of the keys is just that change management because um it's just you know it's just not the way all sellers are hardwired i think everybody by default wants to talk about or can't wait to get to the solution and the features and you know mm -hmm. the founder or the company and all that stuff that's just a little bit easier so you really have to you know get people to kind of rethink um you know how they sell and how they can do a more compelling strategic discovery and personalize and you know all the things that we preach in in value today absolutely so how do you think you know when you've done it right yeah so <clears throat> that's where um some of the more mature programs are um 
you know, coming to us as well now because it's like, um, you know, they ask for budget for for value engineers who aren't uh, cheap, as we know, and it's a seller's market for these people. Um, they've asked for potentially a budget for a messaging company and a platform. So, you know, what's the return, right? Or what's the value of value? So we've, we've been working, we have an intelligence uh, component that can be integrated into Salesforce. And some of our customers now are starting to measure, you know, what is the impact of our value automation uh, platform and program? And we've had some really interesting results. For example, some companies have um, realized that when they use value, they win 55% of the time. And when they don't, they only win 8% of the time. Um, so dramatic results like that. So they're able to measure, you know, average selling price and cycle time. Um, we can even, you know, go in and have them um, kind of inspect deals, right, to see if value tools are being used. And if they're not, maybe getting with the sales manager and saying, hey, you might want to put a business value um, analysis in here because this, this, you know, this deal is stalling out. So this is where, you know, these more mature kind of value platforms and programs are going. Um, and I think it's really, really interesting. And I think the results that we've seen so far have all been very dramatic, which I think will support, you know, greater investment headcount and more technology going forward. Yeah, and April, you've got firsthand experience in this too, because I know you were tracking some key metrics. What were some of the impacts that you found from the automation platform in particular? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think as Dan was mentioning, you know, significant impacts to win rates, deal acceleration, creating more new opportunities, um, you know, growing the deal size. And in terms of, you know, knowing if you've done it correctly, I think it's a continuous um, evolution of growing the program and evolving to what's working and making adjustments. And one of the things that I noticed is when the program starts to take on a life of its own and you're really supporting and sponsoring it, but it really lives outside of the team that created it. And I think it's really become a movement at that point. A great kind of subjective way to tell if the program is successful, right? Not just mm -hmm. the metrics. Uh, Absolutely. Definitely. And Dan, one more question. I know you talked about full life cycle and value realization is all the rage right now, but very few organizations, I think, have completely cracked the code on this. What do you think is, is the way that you recommend that organizations tackle it? You know, is it create the business case and then reopen that business case up in customer success and kind of fill in all the metrics and prove that the exact original plan has been implemented? Is it pick a few KPIs? Kind of what, what do you think is the methodology that's ultimately? Yeah, yeah it's a great question. Um, and it's interesting because when we talk to a lot of our prospects, they're all doing it differently mm -hmm. um, and they all want to do it differently. So I'm encouraging our group to actually um, come up with a point of view on it, which um, we're, we're kind of still working on. But, you know, w we have customers that, you know, absolutely want to say, here's the value that we told you you would deliver, and here's what we actually delivered. And then we've got another customer that says, I absolutely do not want to do that. I don't want to say 
here's what we said we were going to deliver. But I just want to talk about a few KPIs and talk about the value of the investment. So, you know, there's also a different messaging around post-sale value versus pre-sale. And I want us to also incorporate that, right? Because um, in pre-sale, you know, we're targeting the status quo and we're shooting at the status quo and we're trying to disrupt the status quo. And in post-sale, um, we love the status quo, right? So we want you to continue and stay with us. So, um, you know, we're working on a kind of a post-sale methodology like we have in pre-sales with close. Um, and we're building into the platform some flexibility so that, um, you know, a customer can kind of paint their own picture, you know, in terms of how they want to, to um, tackle post-sale value and how their success group uh, is working in EBRs and QBRs. And that's, that's the, the variance that we see all over the place because people do that so differently. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm curious, um, you know, to see how it's going to play out. Um, and you know, like I said, I think, you know, we're pretty close to having a point of view on it. Like, um, you know, like we did with, with pre-sales, like we have today that you obviously, um, architected for us with, with that closed framework, which is, it's really amazing how many programs now have been successful leveraging that, um, because people come to us and they want to do value, but they don't know where to start and they have spreadsheets and it's kind of like what we want to do now on the post-sale side. Yeah. And you need that story, and I completely agree that the story is very different from pre-sale, where you're trying to be disruptive. Now you're trying to be aligned, maybe a little bit more, right? Absolutely. Yeah. So what's the one piece of advice you'd like to leave our Enterprise Value Collective with today? Ooh, yeah, I forgot that that was going to be a question. Um, <laughs> one piece of advice. Um, I would say, you know, number one, I think we're all in a great space right now. Um, and, you know, for sure, I would say, you know, stay current to what's going on in the market. But again, I think um, I'm going to come back to simplicity, you know, um, just keep it kind of focused and simple. Um, and I think you're going to be successful in getting sellers to um, to adopt it more. And then and I think. Here, here's one other thing that I didn't talk about. Um, in some of these value programs where we've seen some issues is where the discovery has been disconnected from the business case. So I would say a great piece of advice is in the value kind of um, uh, tools that you're creating, um, having the discovery connected into um, the business case, we've seen uh, a lot more success in adoption and uh, in, in, in win rate. So. Those are a couple of kernels for everybody. Yeah, I like to think of it as a chain and keeping that chain kind of connected throughout the whole life cycle with the customer. Yeah, absolutely. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for joining us today, Dan. Yeah, my pleasure. Great to be on here. And um, I wish you guys a lot of success with this. Um, this has been a lot of fun and um, glad to be with you today. Yeah. Thank you for joining us on one of the first Value Talk podcasts. Please, please sign up for the Enterprise Value Collective on LinkedIn or on our GeniusDrive.com website to stay in touch with the latest events, tools, and insights. Also, make sure you hit the like button, subscribe to this podcast as well. 
And until next time, our Enterprise Value Collective keep sharing and growing together. Thank you.